this is Orbax and Pepper Do Science, and today we're talking about the Demon Core. All right, well, greetings, uh, scientists, junior scientists, and citizens of this great, big, weird, wild, and wonderful world in which we live. I am Orbax, joined, as always, by my long-suffering lab assistant, Sweet Pepper Klopek. Hi, everybody. Let's do some sciencey stuff. So, uh, yeah, well, I guess this is going to be our new science podcast, where mm-hmm. we're going to sort of chat about some of our uh, favorite science stories, some current science phenomena that's taking place in the world today. Just short little blaps about what's going on and try to fill you in on some cool science. Mm-hmm. Either be the history of science or if something happens and we want to talk about it that day because it's new and exciting, you'll hear it from us. Exciting. So this first story that we're deciding to talk about today comes from one of the uh, the periods of scientific history that I think I'm probably – it's easy to say that I'm the most fascinated with. Uh, out of any of the eons of scientific history, that post-World War II entering into the Cold War kind of era where uh, the Manhattan Project was in full swing, where we were starting our race to get to the outer space, uh, where nuclear <laughs> and, power was being developed, where all this stuff was just kind of popping off. And all the paranoia led for some loosey-goosey science. <laughs> well, it did. And I mean, it's kind of, uh, you know, not since my other previous favorite era, which is probably like the late 1870s to early 1900s, when it was the discovery of working with electricity, where you've got this brand new fundamental force that you're dealing with that there, <laughs> that there's literally no precedent to. In, in this case, that era, you're looking at nuclear science, where you're legitimately tearing apart the fabric of the universe and, and <laughs> even better the your your first comment there about the the first part you're like it's the best thing you got hurt dealing with electricity and lightning and stuff they'd give you a heroin or cocaine to heal you right which is <laughs> like everything was out of whack what yeah, a time to a, be alive it's a very different time than it is now and i mean i think the story we talk about today really exemplifies this idea of like the cowboy scientist or the uh, action scientist right uh where perhaps there could have been a modicum more safety that was involved with any of these experiments. But again, at the time, we don't know what's going to happen as a result. But <laughs> there could have been any safety, I think, is and a I better guess, term. And I, and I guess I suppose th- this one, you probably do know what the result is because that's explicitly what it was made for. So, <laughs> yes. And uh, it's kind of like when you first hear these stories, it's like, there's no way. Like, that's not a real story. And then it's like, oh, no, that's a real story. Like, yeah. All right, well, let's just get right into this one then. So this one starts in 1945. Um, Basically, the America has already dropped the first two and the only two nuclear weapons that have ever been used in warfare on Japan. Yep, on Japan. The first two nuclear cores that were ever made, the first two nuclear bombs that were ever dropped, and that caused the end of well Japan's surrender in World War II. And thankfully, because the states had one more to go. Exactly. And this is where our story starts. So there is one last nuclear core that's left. This thing weighs about, uh, well, it's 13.7 pounds. It's about three and a half inches across. It seems so unassuming. It really does. And let me get the breakdown of what it's actually made out of here. It's it's plutonium mixed with, um, uh, where do I have it here? I know I have it somewhere. 
Um, oh, it's plutonium and gallium. Yeah, okay. So yeah, it's, it, it it's, looks like it, a nice thing you might have on a little stand in your garden for the sunlight to hit. And one hundred percent, right? It's it's like a it's, it's like a noma light. Yeah. That, that's just sitting there. that could destroy. <laughs> well, it's gi- it, it's given the pet name Rufus, and uh, this little ball is the heart or the core of what was supposed to be the third nuclear bomb to be dropped on Japan. Um. As it sits, it's somewhat stable. Uh, And those types of nuclear cores were made to detonate with a change to the structure, which is typically, in this case, compression. Mm -hmm. So if you compress this core, it puts it into a supercritical event and it goes off. And Um, they start, it's much like our mousetrap video there where you can uh, watch us with the ping pong balls. That's pretty much that core, just like exponentially yeah, exactly. just growing and growing and i guess i should we should probably so so we should probably start out and explain what a, a critical nuclear reaction is um so you've got something like say uranium 235 plutonium 239 people know these words they've heard these numbers but they probably don't know what they actually mean mm-hmm. uh those materials the atomic mass numbers the 235 to 239 that's the number of neutrons and protons that are in the nucleus so just to give a comparison hydrogen has got one uh, <laughs> a lot of carbon the, the number is 12 it's got six and six these are are big these are massive <laughs> nuclei right mm-hmm. and I, I think a lot of people when they think of a nuclear reaction they've heard this idea of splitting the atom they think that something hits the atom and it and it splits it in half and it's not really what happens typically what you have is a neutron the neutron gets close to this nucleus gets absorbed by the nucleus so pops that number up by one. And what that does is that offsets the delicate interatomic reactions that are taking place within the nucleus. Um, it's all positive particles, right? With with the neutral particles put in there, staggered in there to kind of keep this thing held together so that the nuclear force can hold it. But the Coulombic force of positive, positive doesn't push it apart. And as soon as you whack another neutron in there, that thing's so big and unstable. Here we it go. It splits. Yeah. And when it splits, you get these fissionable materials. You get two new materials that are made. But not only that, you get more neutrons that fire out. And a core isn't just made out of one atom. It's made out of a whole bunch of atoms all stuck together. Mm -hmm. So those three neutrons go somewhere. Where do they go? Slap into another nucleus. And then what happens? (laughs) You get three more neutrons out of that. And three more neutrons out of that. Within a split second, it's just... uh... There's nothing you can do. It's 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 once it's go time, it's go time. And not only that, that atom absorbs the kinetic energy of that moving neutron too. So there's all this extra energy that's in that atom, and there's energy that comes about when it splits. So you're getting these neutrons, but you're also getting energy that comes out, and that's typically in the form of gamma rays or X rays. That's your radiation component. So a supercritical nuclear core is one wherein that chain reaction can't be stopped. It's basically gone beyond the point of no return. Unlike a moderated chain reaction, which is what we use in nuclear reactors to use that energy for electricity to spin turbines and whatnot. So to interject here, there's already been two bombs dropped on Japan. The only devastation. And again, the only two that have ever been made. (laughs) Period. (laughs) So everybody that's watching this knows what they're getting into. And then bring one home. It's like, you know what? I could probably use, use my bare hands on this and play with it a little bit, right? And push it to its limits in just a lab. Like to me, that's just, so. This I is love so- it. But at the same time, it's like, this can only end bad. 
so this this is spoiler exactly, alert everybody yeah which is exactly what what for what i've been able to research is what sort of every other physicist working at the time also said <laughs> 100 percent they were all so like richard, this is not going to end well yeah richard Feynman called this tickling the uh, dragon's tail uh enrico fermi told these guys if you keep doing this experiment this way you'll be dead within a year uh not to and that was uh, talk about almost like <laughs> prophetic right on the head there yeah um so so what they decide to do with this core is to continue experimenting with it and, and how, put- they, how they traveled around though they'd carry it like literally in just a little case that was like I don't know, letter, whatever it was, but they would just carry it. And they're like, oh, if you can feel a little hot to the touch, it's like, well, well, that's the, I mean, that's kind of, so that's kind of the scary thing, right? Because these were, uh, the best description I heard of it was that these are like artisanal uh, nuclear cores because the individual scientists were making them themselves. They weren't made with remote control devices. They're not part of a mass assembly. This is like, in, this is an individual nuclear core that, a lot of these the physicists working with it were kind of freaked out by it because it was warm when they touched it because yeah, right? of the radiation like, coming off of it. So they start doing these supercriticality experiments on this thing to see how far they could push it before it was going to go supercritical and explode. They're in a basement bunker lab at Los Alamos, right in the middle of the desert. And uh, the way they're of- testing, I was going critical, is they have like a, a they fashion a Geiger counter. That would just like read radiation near this thing. Like even that just sounds like a terrible idea. Yeah. So these are the these are the experiments that are taking place. And I mean, I don't think we're 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 saying anything out of school when we said that perhaps the safety protocols that were in place at the time would prove to not be enough in terms of the necessary safety protocols. I guess we'll get to that step in a minute here, eh? The uh... yeah. So, so this is the idea. They're doing supercriticality experiments. The idea behind these supercriticality experiments is to put more neutrons into this core without um, a catalyst yeah. of an explosion. Yes, and so there's a bunch. Yeah, exactly. Just feeding back into it without that singular catalyst, like you would have in a nuclear bomb. Uh, like, 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 and it was interesting. I was reading about how I, I didn't know much about how the triggering systems work for a fat man, little boy, but I was amazed that they're actually just working like a gun. Like it just yeah. fires a piece into it, like and that in. com- that compression is enough to start that chain reaction. Isn't it wild? Like it it blows me away, especially for something as fundamental as like I mentioned before. And I'm going to get super esoteric about this all the time because it's like the closest to religion that I think I feel in some of these cases, where you're literally rending asunder the fabric of space time like creating a nuclear explosion or ripping apart an atom it it just blows me away so they're doing these experiments they're bouncing these back in and i guess this takes us to our first uh accident with the device Mm -hmm. um there is a gentleman by the name and i want to make sure that i get this right it's harry daglian yeah. Um, and Harry Daglian uh, is working with the other scientists there, working on these supercriticality experiments. He goes out for dinner. He has dinner and he comes back and against, from what I can tell, was the only safety protocol they had at the time. He decides to work on this thing alone that night. Yeah, because earlier in the day, he they had a, a successful experiment where they got it close and everybody's like, whoa, whoa, that's enough. Let's take it back a step. That was pretty good work for the day. And everybody's like, agreed. It was like. You know, good, good on you. Job well done. No point pushing this. Yeah. <laughs> and then 
So their method of reflection is taking these tungsten carbide bricks and uh, we'll, we'll post pictures of this. You can find, they did a, uh, the Los Alamos uh, lab did a recreation of, uh, photographed a recreation of how this experiment would have been done. And they're just, just bricks. Like, they're, like, like, like this isn't like a fancy metaphor for uh, what a brick is. It, no, it's God, just no. a brick. It's like, it's, it's like bricks. An, it was like, he was put like, like Lego like up around this by four inch by four inch tungsten carbide. He's just building a little wall around this thing. Hey, like a little fort. Yeah. To bounce neutrons back into, yeah. <laughs> into the last and the thing is, nuclear core. As it goes up the sides, right? It's like it starts getting the, the reflecting more and more. And once you – like if you seal that off, again, go time, right? That thing's going mm-hmm. critical because there's no effort to escape. And so <laughs> he's laying the bricks and he gets to the point where they say, okay, this this we're getting to a point where it's super critical. Yeah, call he's, it. He's like, okay, I'm calling this. He's like, I'm not going to put this last brick down. So he moves the brick. And as he's carrying the brick over, he drops the brick. And the brick happens to land in the worst place which it could land, which is <laughs> directly onto the core. Causes that small bit of compression. And yeah, you get the, the blast of blue light, the heat wave. And then the, uh-oh. So he smacks the brick off with his hand. Mm-hmm. And then... Needless to say, his hand did not look good after this. It, it did not. Pretty... And so there's this characteristic blue light that you hear about a lot when you hear about these supercritical events, um, which people think is the radiation. The blue light's not the radiation. You can't see the it radiation. The, the blue light is the same thing that kind of happens when you have a fluorescent light bulb go off, right? Uh, 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 there's there's so much high energy electrons in the air that they're in an excited state. This excess energy is being stored. And for that, those... Uh, the particles to drop back down to a less excited state, they have to release that energy. They release it as a photon. So that's where the light comes from. The light's coming from the fact that literally there's so much energy being shot off that it's being absorbed by the air around itself. The heat is also coming from that. And, and it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't go off. No, it just has a flash second of being super critical. Um, Which would be super cool to see, but you'd also die, but it's, it sounds, can you imagine being in that room. Like, no, that was, dude, I can't imagine. Take, there, and this isn't like th- these people have less protective equipment in there than we have to go to the dentist now. Oh, yeah. These guys aren't wearing gloves or not like nothing, not even gloves. But, and you got to figure, though, this is 1945. This is and I, I hate to continuously reiterate it. This is the third one that's ever been made. This is it. Like th- nobody knows what the limits are, where the extremes are coming from, but you do know that it did wipe out almost an entire country. Well, that's <laughs> it. It's like one of these things where you know it's like there's a new thing. It's like oh, I'll, you know, I'll try that and see what's up with that. But after the devastation caused by the bombs, you'd be you think you'd be like, okay, let's be a smidgen more careful with this, just a smidge, right? A hundred percent. So unfortunately, um, there's no way to fix the exposure to this level of radiation. Uh, uh, and Dr. Dagley, and at, at that point, that was the highest dose of radiation that a human had ever, like a direct hit with something like that, was something just never even thought of before. Which he got so much radiation. He did, um, and and it's funny, you know, you look at how old these people were, and, and th- this guy's twenty four oh, yeah. years old at the age of this, right? Um, twenty five guess- days, la- twenty five days later, he passes away. So, I mean, this is. The, the, the problem with radiation sickness and radiation as a, as a mode of death is that 
ionizing radiation's effects on the human body aren't immediate. They stop your body from functioning. So you suffer from what they call radiation poisoning, which is basically the shutting down of your body's vital processes over, unfortunately, what can be the process of uh-huh. quite a number of days. Yeah, well... It, yeah, it's it could be years and years, end up with like a leukemia, that kind of thing, or yeah. it could be a week of just the most agonizing. Because in essence, it hits you, and it's like a, something just goes and rips your cells, and just like the cellular destruction is incredible. Mm-hmm. And you just then you just kind of peter off, and it's not a pleasant way to go by any means. No, it's pretty it's, uh Yeah, so this is uh this this is wild. At the time, they recognize that there needs to be more in terms of safety protocols that they're laying out. Um, so they make a few more changes. However, <laughs> within eight to nine months of that experiment taking place, uh, you have a, a Canadian physicist by the name of uh, Louis Slotin. Um, who, who his what, safety protection was wearing cowboy boots a lot of the time, apparently. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> he is. He is the quintessential. Uh, you've probably seen the term nuclear cowboy uh, thrown about. Uh, many of his pictures, or even just he's well known for wearing cowboy boots and blue jeans. He's from Manitoba. Uh, not that that means anything, but the high, it's a higher probability of being towards a locus of cowboyism, I believe, and <laughs> yeah. perhaps somebody who is in Vancouver. And um, he sat with. Uh, Dagley in there when he was in the hospital. Well, it was and- a tight knit community, right? You got to remember. I mean, these people working on the Manhattan Project, this group, like they brought, they're they're cloistered together, right? And so these are not only colleagues; these are comrades. These are mm-hmm. this is your this is your family, effectively, right? And spoiler alert: he made up in, in near the same uh, place where Dagley was laying there, coming up a little bit in the story. Yeah. And I think it's important to point out as well that uh, Louis Slotin was one of the people who handmade the first atomic core, the first nuclear core as well. So he decides to continue on with these supercriticality experiments um, after Daglian passes away, but got a new system. So <laughs> fail proof, <laughs> fail proof. Cause bricks bricks. This is the big problem with the bricks, right? What if we enclose it with an outer sphere? Right, this outer sphere is made out of beryllium. They call it a tamphor, I believe, um, and they have spacers. So they got little spacers that they put around the side of the core, so that way the 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 top hemisphere. Yeah, yeah, Am I like explaining this sphere. well? Go ahead, Pepper. It's like a full sphere cut in half. So you put the top on to create your lovely metal globe, let's say, right. and the the demon core is in the center. Right. And so, so they've got they got spacers around the edge that while they're experimenting, while they're doing these supercriticality experiments to prevent the top of, of, of that hemisphere from completely enclosing it, reflecting all the neutrons that are inside yeah. so that there's no escape and it pushes into supercriticality. But Louis Slotin decides these uh, these spacers are spacers. <laughs> spacers are kind of a hassle, right? So <laughs> instead of spacers. He develops a technique where he just holds the top of this glow of this hemisphere with and his uses, bare hand. With his bare hand, and he uses a slotted screwdriver to just kind of wedge and get just enough of a distance. Yeah, that so enough just neutrons a few millimeters. Yeah, just, just a few, few millimeters, millimeters, so that there's the neutrons can still get out, but aren't totally reflective inside. Um, now I hate to say that it seems obvious that this technique 
has the potential for going dramatically wrong. Yes. However, I am also guilty of being this laissez-faire with things that are incredibly dangerous. So I do understand how this type of thing can happen and how you can think, look, I'm totally in control of this scenario. It's never going to happen to me. Right? Yeah, exactly, (laughs) right? Now, well, Pepper, do you want to take us through what happened? (laughs) Well, he slips. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. There you go. Yeah. So the top half of the sphere closes. It goes critical. Blue light. Heat wave. And at the time, there's seven people observing his experiments. Yeah. So, I mean, this isn't like a thing that people didn't know that he did. This isn't late night sneaking in after having dinner. This is just how Louis experiments on uh, what will be now become known as the demon core. Uh, This is how he experiments on it with this slotted screwdriver. And they said one of the uh, physicists in there, Schreiber, was like, all right, well, Louis starting his experiment. He turns around. He's like, I guess, you know, something will happen pretty soon. There'll be some sort of interesting things. He busies himself with some other work. And he hears like, clink, clink. And he said that Slotin's words were, well, that does it. Yeah. <laughs> and I had and that written down. It's what a turned great around, blue light, heat, and two, I mean, this really I don't know if this is a brave thing, if it's a responsible thing, if it's a heroic thing, or if it's just the type of thing you do if you're the type of person who works on this type of experiment with just a slotted screwdriver in your hands, but he whips the top off. He puts himself in between the core and the other scientists. His body ends up absorbing the brunt of the blast, which actually saves the lives of the other scientists in the room. Yeah. And again, he beats uh Deglin there for the highest uh, radioactive count. He's just got the, he's got the record. Now he gets the, uh, the sash for that one. And apparently too, everybody started to run out of the room. So he stopped them, made them come back in and stand exactly where they were. And he threw everybody chalk and said, mark on the floor exactly where you were standing. So he could calculate how much radiation they got and how much of their lives that they lost during this thing. It's like, here, you're, you're going to lose a couple months or that. So that's a couple years worth of radiation there. But again, like, it's just, that's, I love that mentality. It's like, okay, I just had a insane thing happen here. This went critical. I'm clearly going to die, but I want data on everybody else. Well, I mean, that's scientists through and through, right? Yeah. And I mean, I mean, it's it's I again, it's a thing that I think you and I maybe would say is commendable. However, it could also be interpreted as being sociopathic. I don't know, but it's uh, it, well, it they, also hand in hand. It's a fine line, right? Like. And I mean, this is your one opportunity to do that, to collect that data and that information. I, I, I found some, uh, I was, I, I mean, you can look up how much radiation these people were exposed to. Like you said, Slotin was able to like actually calculate the levels that everybody got. Um, but I was trying to find it in terms that people would understand. So the, the, the dosage that Slotin received at literally right in front of the demon core was equivalent to half so a kilometer from ground zero in Hiroshima, mm-hmm. the exposure rate was less than half of what Slotin got in that fraction of a second. Wowzers. He, and the scary thing is that's not even with this thing like actually exploding. No. Like, which is that to me, my, that I mean, blows my legitimately mind. that, 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 that metaphor of tickling the dragon's tail, like it's, perfect. it's, it's what they were doing. Right. Yeah. 
So, I mean, unfortunately, Slotin only lasts nine days, I believe. Um, he succumbs much quicker, uh, but also was exposed to quite a bit more radiation than uh, Daglian was at the time. Mm. Um, he even They even fly his parents in to sit with him for the last you know few days. I don't want to get too morbid here, but he does pass pretty quickly due to the radiation poisoning. Um, at which time... The Manhattan Project decides to reevaluate the safety protocols that are involved in its uh, experimentation. Uh, and they do not destroy the Demon Core immediately. It was actually supposed to be dropped on Bikini Atoll. The, the, that's that sort of infamous experiment that maybe a lot of people have heard of where uh, they had all the U.S. soldiers standing at various points from uh, where the explosion went off to see how badly it would affect their eyes or their... Anyway... That's a rough yeah. gig right there. A rough yeah. gig. <laughs> but it, it actually ended up being melted down and resupplied into uh, the American nuclear arsenal um, at the time. But still, you know, regardless of the intended purpose of that demon core, just to just to to take that item and to be doing that experiment with a screwdriver, where you're staying there holding the one half of it on top and you know full well that not only was this used to end the war horrifically this has also taken the lives of one of your other researchers now your colleague that was there just died from literally this. months ago wild yeah it really is i want no part in that <laughs> so that's the story of the demon core um so if you're going to be dealing with balls of plutonium, everybody, make sure you wear gloves and uh, <laughs> don't drop stuff on it. Like it just, it's I, so, it seems so fake when you like, I know there's a movie about this. I think it's, there uh, is John it, Cusack it, it's, it's and it's Cusack in it. I, I saw a clip of it. I, I'd actually never heard of it. It's called fat man, little boy. Yeah. Um, I yeah I, I, I've I, never seen it, but like I came out and watched it. I'd be like, Oh yeah, whatever. It's like, and then it's like, you know, this is a real, like, these are true stories. And it's just mm -hmm. so. If you're, and if you're interested in this, there are lots of resources for this everywhere. Oh, yeah. um, we'll post a list of our resources and stuff that we looked at for our information um, in the notes. Uh, but if you do just a search on the Demon Core, I had honestly never heard of the story until about a month ago, I guess, a month or two ago. Uh, yeah. And then once we started reading about it, we Pepper and I had been saying we wanted to do this podcast for a while. And we were like, well, we got to talk about this. Yeah, uh, it's incredible. Like it's. It's, it's something else. Yeah, it's absolutely insane, but insane yeah. for great reasons because that's what science is, right? Sometimes it's just giving her and doing something uh, that maybe is not the best or you, you want to do, but. Well, and it's it's the dealing. It's 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 also, you know, how it gives you a, a moment of pause to evaluate how you deal with the unknown. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and I mean – scientists don't always have the right answers, but you can clearly see how there's different types of people and different types of scientists. And I mean, this was a nuclear cowboy. I mean, there's yeah, just no way around right? this. Like, this is, this he'd is be riding that bomb and Dr. Strange love, right? Like that's <laughs> it's wild. All right. Well, I guess that's it. We'll talk to you in the, the next episode. Uh, if you're looking to find or follow any of our science stuff, if you haven't uh, already been following that, you can find Orbax and Pepper Do Science on all the social media platforms. We're on mm -hmm. the YouTube, the Facebook, the Instagram, um, and hopefully uh, we'll be in school soon. So, yeah, go go deep, uh, 
dig into this a uh, little bit, the demon card, but I think you really enjoy the stories and uh, it's just, it's, it's wild. So sounds good, everybody. Morning. Yeah. All right. Until next time. Don't forget to science. <laughs> science, everybody. <laughs> Don't forget to follow Warbacks and Pepper Do Science on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. All music by Jeff Monroe. For a full list of our references, check out the show notes. But for now, we use the following resources for our research. ScienceAlert.com, AtomicHeritage.org, IFLScience.com, and NewYorker.com. Thanks, everybody, and don't forget the science! <laughs>